Welcome to Sunday Sermons and other recordings from the Unitarian Universalist Church of Davis, California. Please visit our website at www.uudavis.org for further information. so glad you're here with us today. As Unitarian Universalists, we believe that all people are inherently worthy and dignified. So you are welcome here. No matter how you identify the color of your skin, your chosen family or family of origin, the money in your pocket where you spent the night, no matter your questions about life, the universe, God, and everything, you are welcome here. If this is your first time here, we hope you will stop by our welcome table so that we can get to know you. Here you will find a community of caring and sharing. In your printed bulletin, you will find more information about the programs of the church. There are many ways to get involved, and we hope you will join us in creating this community together. Now to acknowledge all that is being held by the people in this room, we light one pillar candle for the sorrows of the world, for the moments that weigh heavily on our hearts and minds. And we light a second pillar candle for the joys of the world, for the moments of hope and celebration we share. Come, let us worship together. Would Brendan McCarthy and his children, Declan and Connor, come and light the chalice? To share something you may not know about the McCarthy family is that they love to hike and camp. And every year they attend the UU overnight camping here. And yesterday when Brendan asked his youngest son, Connor, about his favorite place, he said, are we going hiking today, Dad? You could tell he really was excited about going. We light this chalice, the symbol of our faith, with these words from Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Whatever your life's work is, do it well. A person should do their job so well that the living, the dead, and the unborn could do it no better. May this time we share be a source of inspiration as we do our work well. This morning, the spirituals that we'll be singing are referenced in Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech. I've been to the mountaintop is what it's called. It was the last speech that he did. So I intentionally chose those songs. It's not because there are so many oppressed people here in this sanctuary right now but rather because we are using as a touchstone that speech and we can all extend ourselves to those who are oppressed and join with them. And so I invite you to stand and sing the verses in solidarity with so many people who need to hear this message from us. Almost 51 years ago, April 3rd, 1968, 
Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I've been to the mountaintop speech the day before his assassination. He addressed the Memphis, Tennessee sanitation workers who were on strike, looking to create a nonviolent protest to elevate awareness of the salary injustices they were facing. The speech was just over 40 minutes long, and I have both read and listened to it many times. It's rich and colorful, and there are a number of sections that really stood out to me, and here is one of them. The nation is sick. Trouble is in the land. Confusion all around. But I know somehow that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. And I see God working in this period of the 20th century in a way that men and women in some strange way are responding. Something is happening in this world. We have been forced to a point where we are going to have to grapple with the problems that men have been trying to grapple with throughout history. But the, the demands did not force them to do it. Survival depends that we grapple with them. Men and women for years now have been talking about war and peace. But now no longer can they just talk about it. It is no longer a choice between violence and nonviolence. In this world, it is nonviolence or non-existence. That is where we are today. Spoken years ago, these words could have been written for our current times. Reading the news, it is easy for us to refer to our times as dark times. An example from the Associated Press, found on the PBS NewsHour, and I quote, In just the last few weeks, President Trump has made a number of misleading or inaccurate statements on subjects ranging from Russian interference to farmers and trade to NATO defense. And the article continues to highlight the discrediting of the federal climate change report, the federal shutdown over lack of funds for the border wall. And these are just examples because the list goes on. Dishonesty is a form of violence. It breeds mistrust and fear. And these are the seeds of division and the inability to hear our voice in each other's words to see ourselves in each other's eyes. It creates the illusion that we are not all connected. But Dr. King speaks not only of darkness, but of seeing the light of the stars. And each time someone listens to that voice from deep inside and responds with compassion, it's like a star in the darkness. Where I live, there has been an increase of homeless taking up residence in the uninhabited spaces. And over the last weeks, this has changed. As I go on my nightly walk and I look at the stars and I feel the cold, my thoughts go to the rotating winter shelter. And the impact that it is having on the lives of the people who do not have homes and I think of the impact of the people who do have homes and the impact it has on us feeling safer in our communities. I think of the organizers of the Winter Shelter, and I'm grateful to them. Their actions inspire me 
and their actions are like stars in the night sky. And at a national level, I also find myself more, call, more compelled to call my senators, to voice my opposition to the affronts on the environment, human welfare, threats to our democracy. And I've more frequently chosen to open our finances to this church and to other nonprofits. I have to imagine that I am just one of many and that the accumulation of small acts will have a significant impact. As I look to the year 2019, I'm listening deeply with compassion for myself and neighbor, opening to see how my actions can promote loving my neighbor equally as myself. When we consider the quality of our relationships, there are questions that are always with us. At every stage of life, whether we consciously search or intuitively test different paths, we explore, how do I create a really good life? It starts with our own individual lives, but poet Mary Oliver wrote, Do you think there is anything not attached by its unbreakable cord to everything else? The question about living with meaning and purpose is always, always connected to those who are beyond our most immediate circle of support and identity. Our lives are given meaning by how wide we draw that circle of our responsibility. This week, Davis was decorated with blue ribbons honoring and grieving for Officer Natalie Corona's public service for her life. Grief was palpable in this community since her death. On Friday, as the town prepared for the memorial service over at the university, people wove her name with blue ribbons through the fences on the highway overpasses. Bows were tied onto trees and fences and light poles. And some people in this congregation, I have seen you, you participated in tying those ribbons. People came from communities far beyond this small town, I was on the highway and I saw all of 113 backed up onto 80. Many people saw her as a part of their dreams of what is possible for a young adult. Many identified with her as being a part of their community, their clan. The community was created by people who knew her, who identified with her as a woman, as a police officer and a public servant, she was from an immigrant family and a rising star of promise and possibility. But the people who were grieving and moved by compassion went far beyond those who could identify with some role or some characteristic of her young life. Through history... Generations have grappled with the question of who are we responsible to care for? What are the limits of our care? 
A story from ancient scripture that has become the model for our responsibility begins in this way. A lawyer asks Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? I want to know the law, the rules. When do I know I have done enough? Show me where it is written. Read it to me. And Jesus responded by saying, Love your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and your strength and your neighbor as yourself. But the lawyer is not satisfied. And he wants more specifics. And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers with a story. A story that has become a favorite. There was a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And robbers stripped and beat him and left him for half dead. A priest, the the highest status of a religious leader, was also walking down that road. And he looked away, pretending he didn't see the beaten and bloody man. And he continued down the other side of the road. And a Levite, an associate of the priest, was traveling down that same road later in the day, and he also saw the man, and he chose to walk down the other side of the road and kept on going to Jericho. But a Samaritan, who was not from this part of the country, was also traveling this road on that same day, and when he saw the man who had been robbed and beaten, he stopped. The Samaritan applied medicine and bandaged the man's wounds. And then he put the man on his donkey and led them to the next town. And he stayed with the hurt man through the night. And before leaving the next morning, he gave money to the innkeeper, take care of him. And whatever you spend beyond this, I'll repay you when I come this way again. We can only imagine what the men were thinking when they averted their attention and kept walking. For the priest, maybe many of the faithful would be waiting for him, and his arrival in Jericho was time-sensitive. Who knows how long it would delay his travel if he stopped to help. And what if this man was dead? The priest couldn't touch or come in close proximity to a corpse and then perform his rituals at the temple. He may have reasoned that perhaps he would fulfill his responsibility for a higher purpose only if he kept walking and didn't stop to help this justice one man. Maybe both men were willing to deal with the issues of violence at the root cause but not stop for every person who'd been hurt or robbed of their possessions or their dignity. Maybe the man with his face in the dust had dressed for travel in a way that was irresponsible and invited the attention of the robbers. He might have had it coming. Maybe he was faking it. It was a dangerous road, steep and winding, just made for ambushing. It was so dangerous that it was known as the Bloody Pass. Could he be a ploy of the robbers to lure other travelers to stop? 
We would like to believe that we are more compassionate than either of the men who walked by on the other side of the road, averting their eyes, gauging the time of day, and imagining responsibilities still waiting to be completed, or suspicious of the characters of others. The parable of the Good Samaritan was the central story in the speech Martin Luther King Jr. gave the night before. He was assassinated. He said that the actions of the first two men showed that they were asking the wrong questions. They were asking, what will happen to me if I stop? Is it safe? But the eternal question that gives the answer for how to lead a really good life is the question that extends the concern to the other person. King said, What will become of this person, this other person, if I do not stop? To answer the lawyer, there is a law to be followed. It's found in the actions that strengthen that unbreakable cord of connection that Mary Oliver honors in all of her writing about our relationship to the earth to other human beings, and to all of the animals. What will become of this if I do not act on my concern? Martin Luther King said that the priest and the Levite needed to break through their fear of being asked to give more than what they believed was possible for them to give. There are times when questions about personal safety are appropriate. Each person should carefully consider when to set aside their own safety. We are not replaceable to those who love us. I told a story about my sister at her celebration of life service this last August. I was 13, she was 24. And her husband took a trip with her and their six-month-old baby through Yellowstone. And they tucked a little bed in the back seat for him, and they had included me in this trip. They were very courageous, not for traveling with their baby, but for including a 13-year-old who was, well, everything that a 13-year-old could be. I was all of it. The Yellowstone Rangers lectured everyone about the grizzly bears. They told us that under no circumstances should we feed the bears, think of them as those cute stuffed animals, try to lure them with food for photo shoots. But as we were driving into an area of the park with a really high population of grizzlies, we saw a cluster of bears, and not far away, people were outside their cars holding up loaves of bread. I still remember her sentences that were really one long word. Oh, please get back in your cars, because if those bears decide you are better than the bread, I am a nurse, and they have made a promise to help those in medical assistance. They are wild animals, not pets. I am the mother of a baby. Oh, please get back in your car. (laughs) As a 13-year-old, I was incredulous that she would be willing to risk her own life for people she didn't know. Keep driving, Richard. Keep driving, Richard. Don't stop now. At that moment, she thought they were foolish 
and weren't thinking about the welfare of themselves, their families, or the animals, actually. She knew about a commitment to be concerned for others to the point of being in danger. Each person makes a decision about when they will move toward danger and what is worth the risk. In his speech, King asks himself and the crowd that gathered, if he was given the opportunity, would he prefer to live during other historical times of great promise and turmoil? Would he choose to live in Greece during the times of Plato and Aristotle and Euripides? He pauses to consider the benefits of living during the Renaissance when art and creativity were exploding through Europe. Would he prefer to exist during the Reformation with Martin Luther and new religions emerging? Or would he wish to sit beside Abraham Lincoln at the moment, at the moment he decided to sign the Emancipation Proclamation? If he could trade this present moment of the civil rights movement, would he do it to be with Roosevelt as he inspired the country to rise above fear? Would he do it? He tells the crowd that he would choose to be with them in this present moment when the nation was sick, when there was trouble in the land, with confusion all around. Because, as Jackie has foretold, only when it is dark can you see the stars. This, he said, was a great time to be alive. It was a new time to deal with unresolved issues and an opportunity, and I love how this language keeps coming back, to make America a better nation. (laughs) Rather than wishing to be in another time or to hide from all that is wrong, he told them, I am grateful. I am grateful for this opportunity that I have. There's one line in the middle of his speech, and every concept from the full 40 minutes of that speech pivots around this one line. Let us develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness. And everything else speaks of focusing on that cord of connection with the other person. And to be willing to be inconvenienced for their sake. Dangerous unselfishness can be witnessed in protests and acts of civil disobedience, but it exists in our everyday lives. It's cultivated through our actions that may feel inconvenient and uncomfortable. To ask a woman with unexplained bruises if she is all right, if she is safe, can feel too intimate. Risk the discomfort Identifying ourselves as a safe person is never wasted effort. If living on the streets isn't our reality, sometimes it's uncomfortable to eat dinner at a table with people who are homeless. What will you talk about? Where is your common ground? 
maybe conversation isn't wanted and our presence isn't important. But it may be the best exchange that happened all day. And we never know how lives can change, and I'm talking about ours. It can feel awkward if we see a teenager being taunted and wonder if we should interfere. Few people like to insert themselves in conflict. But take the risk. Be inconvenienced. And offer a way to talk and walk away from the the conflict. Choose. Choose a little danger. Whenever we see the opportunity to build stronger cords of connection across what could be divisions, it's worth practicing the discomfort of dangerous unselfishness. My friend Leslie was riding her new bike, and she was bearing down a hill at a fast clip. She looked down just in time to see the front wheel come off the bike's frame. The next thing she remembered was feeling the road's unforgiving embrace, she said. She was hurt and lying on the ground, but trying, just trying to get upright with the bike and this disconnected wheel. And a couple was walking just ahead of her down the road, and they nervously looked back, hesitating. And they continued walking and then looked back again. They had seen her. And it was really clear that they didn't want to stop. And so she waved at them. And looking relieved, they waved and kept going. And a second couple walked past her. This time, she had gathered herself up enough to ask, Can you help me? I just need someone to hold the bike or the wheel. And by this time, the cuts and bruises were they were really starting to hurt. I don't know anything about bikes, they said. And just as that second couple was turning to leave, she heard a voice. Do you need help? A young adult had stopped his bike behind her. Oh, good, the couple said. He knows about bikes. He's a bike rider. He can help you. And he admitted that he didn't know anything about bikes. He'd borrowed the one he was riding from a friend. Actually, he told her, I was right behind you. And I kept riding after you fell. And I asked myself, what are you doing? You just rode past someone who is hurt. I circled around and came back. I'm sorry. I can't believe I rode right by you. As he helped her assemble her bike again, he kept saying, What kind of person am I to have kept going when I could see that you'd fallen? Leslie asked for his name so she could refer to him by his name. Thank you for coming back, Mike. You returned to help, and that's what matters. Let us develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness and be willing to be inconvenienced for others. Martin Luther King Jr. said that the actions of the priest and the Levite came out of questions about their own personal safety and convenience. 
The Samaritan's actions were the result of a question about the welfare of others. But I think there is another question to consider. How will my actions inform me about the goodness of my own being? Will I know myself to be a person of compassion? Will I continue to become someone who uses all the resources available to me to be inconvenienced for another? Sometimes we may be like the Good Samaritan, and when we see a person in need, we offer all that we have available, no more, but all that we have available. But it is likely that there are times when each one of us has reason to say, I can't believe I didn't stop. What kind of person am I to have kept going when I could see that you had fallen? But like the young adult, we can stop, we can turn around, and we can ask, we can intervene, we can make changes, we can choose inconvenience for the sake of others and become each in our own way. Light from the stars that shine when it's dark. And now, once again, it is time to shine. We must choose to shine. And to that I say, Amen. I invite you into a time of prayer, time of meditation, a sacred time when we shine a light on the issues of the world, on our own lives, and step outside of our normal routines. For the women's march across the country and for the marches across the world, for Officer Natalie Corona's family and the police force who are shaken. For the children and parents more than we ever knew who are separated at the border of our country and Mexico, those who came for asylum. And for the federal employees whose pay is being withheld this third week with no end in sight, all being held by the struggle of power. I invite you into a time of silence to think about the times when you will live with courage and will not pass by. Spirit of life and love, we ask, what do I have to do to inherit 
eternal life. To have a life of worth. To leave a legacy of caring. And who is my neighbor? That life, that legacy is not inherited by virtue of living and waiting to receive. It is ours to create together, to be the starlight in the times of darkness and to look, look for the light of others. Each of us is a part of an intricate web of relationships. When one of us celebrates a joy or grieves a loss, the web of life moves to a new shape. We are a part of the turn of the earth, the shift of the stars, the pull of the sea, and all change. Our board of trustees, stewardship team, visiting stewards, our lay community minister, Kate Raymond, and clergy, Reverend Beth, Reverend Morgan, and intern and campus, campus ministry minister Alex have come together as one team. We are committed to living our congregation's mission statement to welcome each and all, cultivating the spirit, serving others in our quest for justice. One of the most important reasons we gather together as a congregation is to experience community and the strength of support it creates. The stewardship campaign, most recently under Marty West's leadership, although she's only moved to the finance team and is our financial <laughs> officer, so don't panic, created a strong foundation of giving. This year we had the priority of having conversations with one-third of the congregation. Over the course of three years, everyone will have an opportunity opportunity to speak with the visiting steward about their hopes and dreams for the congregation and to explore their relationship with the church. These conversations are supportive and respectful. As leaders and stewards, we have received guidance from our consultant, Kay Kreider. All of us on this team offer our commitment to model a culture of connection and generosity. And I want to say that there are 25 people on this team, and not everyone was able to be here this morning. The Latin root for the word religion means to hold together or connect. But that word doesn't assume a random connection. It is to connect oneself to that which sustains love, the love that gives life meaning and enlarges our focus to what is beyond ourselves. As a church... Our commitment is to create more opportunities for relationships of connection, clearer ways to show our values through action, and to experience the support of that spirit of love. As Unitarian Universalists, we are generous. We create interdependent web of a congregation. How we choose to live together reflects this congregation's identity. 
the spirit of our relationships, and what we can do together. This is our commitment. And the congregation says, As members and friends, we are the light of this congregation. And our stewards say, We are ready to hear about your experiences and dreams. Each of us has different fears, hopes, and values related to money. We also bring different levels of commitment and financial resources. These often change over time. May we always give, understanding that generosity is not measured by a dollar amount, but giving generously according to our means. This is our promise. And the congregation says, We will pledge generously to support this community and bring our values to the world. And the stewards say, We are prepared to speak honestly and respectfully about generosity and money. We each have different talents. The time we can offer may be large or small. Sometimes we cannot volunteer, but need to receive from others. Our ability to give our time and talent changes with our life circumstances. With this understanding, we ask that you consider the time and talent that you can give. For those who are at the center of leadership, we also invite you to make space for others to feel the rewarding connection of leadership. In these ways, we support our community. And the congregation says, we we'll offer our time and talent both great and small stewards. We are ready to hear about your time and talents. We're ready to be surprised. All of this is done in joy. This is an opportunity to hear each other's ideas, perceptions, and beliefs. <clears throat> Celebrating this church and ensuring its future is ours to do together. If you receive a call from a stewardship for a stewardship vision, visit, open yourself to weaving a stronger web of belonging to our whole community. If your visit will be in future years and you have something you'd like to share now, please look for our stewardship table. This is our commitment. We will we welcome, welcome our friends, our UUCD stewards. May we come to know each other in new ways and continue to weave a strong web of belonging. Together we care, together we explore, together we worship, together we act, together we give. May it be so. And so we extinguish one of our pillar candles knowing that those sorrows still wait for us, and the joys will be a part of our lives. And we extinguish this chalice, and it will greet us when we return again. And I invite you to take hands, making sure that no one is left out. And remember that there's a Martin Luther King Jr. concert here at 2 p.m. and again tomorrow night at 7 we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied to a single garment of destiny. 
Hatred and fear can never cure the disease of fear. Only love can do that. We shall hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. May this be so. And as we join in support with others, say, Amen. Amen.